Okay, we've been in this series doing the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we are winding it up today. This is the last of this series. It's the first message that Jesus preached. We said it was a, a way that Jesus kind of cast vision for everything his ministry and his kingdom was going to look like. So many things that Jesus unpacks and reveals in the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to spend the rest of his ministry detailing. So he's kind of giving us a surface look here, and then later on in his teachings, he will unpack more and more of that. The Apostle Paul and others that come after Jesus will also unpack most of what we see here in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just talked to us about being aware of, of, of false prophets and watching out for them. He's also reminded us that not everybody who does great things is doing great things for God. There were those who will cast out demons, those who will perform great miracles, those who will do signs and wonders that are not of God. And so we need to be careful who we follow. In, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he, he writes these words. Jesus spoke them and, and, and Matthew recorded them. And, and they are some of the most sobering words to me in, in the New Testament where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many people will profess a faith in Jesus Christ. Many people will say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I go to church. Yes, I do this, 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 and this. And they will never have met Jesus as their personal Savior. Many people who will go through the religious motions week after week, year after year, and be lost and go to hell. I don't know if that scares you. But it's certainly a wake-up call for the church today to think that you can be in church every single week. You can serve on a committee, you can be a deacon, you can be a pastor, you can be whoever in a church and still not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I believe that Jesus is unpacking this right here, uh, what he just said in verse 21 in the rest of chapter 7. He's talking about how in the world it's possible for people to profess a faith in Jesus and not have a faith in Jesus. So... We're going to see this in, in, in Luke chapter seven. He actually, or chapter six, he actually gives us this same passage, and, and Luke introduces it by Jesus saying, "How do you say to me, or why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I tell you to do?" And so these are tied together; these thoughts are are wrapped together. And so here in chapter uh, seven of of Matthew, uh, Jesus is going to to wrap up this sermon. He's bringing it to a climax. He's wrapping it up, and now he's going to drive the final nail that will anchor this message. He says in verse twenty four. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, which words? This whole message that Jesus has been preaching, and, and to be honest, everything that Jesus is going to say, he says, those of you that hear the words of mine and you put them into practice, you're like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Tell me if this doesn't sound like southwest Louisiana. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat blew and beat against that house. Does that sound familiar? L look at what's happening here. The, the, the rains come down. It, it, this, this house that's being built is being attacked from the top. The streams rise up. It's coming from the ground. And, and the winds are beating and blowing against this house. It sounds like what we've been through the last five years. But, but Jesus is speaking about a wise man who builds his house. And, and, and even though the rains come down, the, the rivers rise, and the winds beat against the house, he says, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. The rock he's talking about are the teachings and the principles 
of Christ, to, to build our lives upon Jesus, not just the truths of Jesus, but on Jesus himself. And so he's saying that because this house had its foundation on the rock, it stood. Again, in, in, in Luke chapter 6, he says the, the owner that was building his house dug down deep till he got to the rock, and he built his house on the rock. Now it takes a lot of work, and it takes a lot of effort. And, and if you and I are going to build lives on Jesus, it's not going to just happen automatically. It's going to require a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of discipline. It's going to take a, a, a lot of strength to say no to everything else that Satan's going to throw your way. And Jesus says the wise man is a man who does that. He builds his house upon a rock. He digs down deep, gets below the surface, and he anchors himself to this rock. But now he's going to contrast that with the other people. He says, but every one who hears these words of mine. So they also are aware of what Jesus has said. They're aware of his teachings. They may be sitting in a church every single week enduring another sermon. So they're, they're, they're getting the content. They understand what is required of them. They hear the words of Jesus. The difference is they do not put them into practice. They think that all God requires of them is to go to church. All God requires of them is to acquire biblical knowledge. That all God expects of them is to kind of clean up the outside of their lives. To look good. To impress others. I've got my checklist. I need to read my Bible every day. Check. I need to pray every day. Check. I need to go to church at least once or twice a week. Check. Check. I need to attend a, a gospel community. Check. And, and so they, they are getting the content. They're getting the information. They may even can repeat the information. But Jesus says, he that hears it but does not put it into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now notice this, verse 27. The same exact thing happens to both parties. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house. But there's a totally different outcome. It fell with a great crash. So one house is built on, on the rock. He digs down deep. He anchors himself to the rock of Jesus Christ and the storms come and his house stands. The other guy, not so concerned about building a foundation, is maybe landscaping. I've only got X amount of dollars to put into this house. I'm not going to spend it on the foundation. I'm going to spend it on landscaping and lighting and yard decorations. So he doesn't dig down. He doesn't do the deep, hard work. He just throws up a house on sand. And, and, and from the street... It looks good. In fact, from the street, his house looks better than the guy who spent everything building the foundation because the foundation is something you don't see. A foundation is hidden below the ground and, and nobody sees. nobody's ever walked up to my house and said, that's a fabulous foundation. Has anybody said that to you about your house? No. People don't talk about foundations until there's a storm. I've met with several of your adjusters. You've asked me to come to your house and meet with them when the adjuster shows up. 
And, and I had one adjuster come to a neighbor's house, and, and they were looking at the pump house, and it literally was a building set on grass. And he goes, uh, there's no foundation for this one. That's why it's in the neighbor's yard. You're right. You're right. My, let me give you, a, just be part. My pump house was set on concrete. And it was built good. But it wasn't anchored to the concrete. That was a smart one, Rob. And it ended up across the yard. It's... Jesus is saying here that there's going to be two different outcomes because whether you're a believer or whether you're not, you're going to go through some storms and you're going to go through some difficulties and the rain's going to come down and the rivers are going to rise and the wind's going to beat against your house, your life. You, just because you're a believer doesn't mean you're not going to get that report from the doctor. It doesn't mean that, that, that when the, the, the hurricanes blow through town, your house is going to be protected in the bubble and everybody else is going to fall down. That's not what being a believer means. In fact, Jesus is not just talking about the here and now. He's talking about eternity. And he's saying there are some who are going to stand and there's some who are going to come down with a great crash. And the difference is those who are anchored to Jesus and those who are not. How am I anchored to Jesus? He answers that. Those who hear and do are anchored to Jesus. Those who hear and don't do Maybe sitting on a church foundation, but you're not anchored to Jesus. Maybe you're religious, but, but you're not righteous. And, and he's saying here there's, there's a difference between those that will stand and those that will crash. A difference between the true prophet he just talked about in, in the passage before this and, and the, real, the real prophet and, and the false prophet. There's a huge difference between those two. And so what he says here is those that hear and do are, are like wise men. Those who hear and don't ever get around to doing are like fools. And so he's saying to us, you're a fool if you think that listening to another message is all that God expects of you. I, I got to be honest and real. If all you're doing is coming and listening... And it never translates into a changed life. Go fishing. At least you'll end up with something to eat. I mean, seriously. Go hunting, go fishing, go do something else. Because if we come and listen, that's not what God expects. He says, you're a fool if you think that's all God expects. You need to be a hearer and a doer, not just a hearer who doesn't do. Why anchor to the rock? I mean, why dig down deep? That's difficult work. It's costly. It's, it's seldom noticed. And I'll say this to you. Digging down deep and anchoring to the rock is not for the good days. My pump house did fine on the good days. It didn't do so good during the storm we anchor to the rock not just for the good days we anchor to the rock for the difficult days we we we, we anchor not to sand listen i could have taken anchor bolts three foot deep and put them in the sand around my pump house and it would have blown away as well 
the Bible continually says that, that this world and, and its principles and its philosophies and its thoughts and all those kind of things are, are, are like shifting sand and, and nothing to anchor to. I remember during one of our floods, I, I went to the cemetery and we tied down some different graves so that they wouldn't pop out and float off. And I knew when I was anchoring some of those, man, that if this thing stays, it's only by the grace of God because down at the river, it's all sand. And we put in those huge trailer anchors in the ground. And you don't anchor to sand. You anchor to, to, to rock. And Jesus is the rock that we anchor ourselves to. And so as, as we look at this passage, we, we see a great big difference between these two people. On the surface, they look the same. They, they both attend church. They both look religious. They, they both have probably cleaned up their life and gotten rid of the things on the outside that people would look at and go, ooh, that's not good. But only one is anchored to Jesus and the other one is not one has a foundation that's going to stand and, and the other one does not and so anytime we gather as a church family guess what we've got both kinds of people with us you say that's that's harsh it's, it's not it's reality and I know that because I was one of those who was in church with my life built on the sand for the first 18 years of my life, that's what I went to church every week. That's what my family did. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I was religious, but I didn't have the relationship. So we, we've got this thing where Jesus is calling them to a relationship with him. And he's saying, anchor yourself to me and you'll stand the storms of life. It's not that the storms won't come, but when they come, you will have something that holds you. You'll have something that anchors you. Something that keeps you there. You see, the wise man who built his house on the rock was a man who was looking down the road. And understood that storms were going to come. He was preparing for the future. He was building to last. The man who built on the ground, I believe, is building to impress. He's building a life that people will look at and go, wow. Nice yard ornament. Romans chapter 1 Paul writes this scathing rebuke of those who have heard the gospel and rejected it. And, and Romans 1 is tough. It, it talks about this slippery slope of sin that, 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 that people get on where, where they, they, they begin just to kind of suppress the truth and before you know it, they're celebrating evil. And, and that's Romans chapter 1. When he gets to Romans chapter 2, Paul turns his attention to the church. And he says, now church, I, I, I'm not going to let you just sit over here and amen my message about the, the lost world and how that they've re rejected me and gone the other direction. He says, I, I want to talk straight to you now. And so in Romans chapter 2, Paul turns his attention to, to the church. And, and I want you to hear what he says because this is a message straight to us today. If, if there's ever a message, I think, that speaks to where we are today, this may be that message. Listen to what he says. This is in Romans chapter 2 beginning in verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew, we could just say if you call yourself a believer, a follower of Christ, and you rely on the law and you brag about your relationship with God, if you know his will 
and you approve of what is superior. So you, you know the word of God. You say, man, I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I believe it's inerrant. I think it's inspired. I think of all these biblical terms that would, or all these terms that we use to describe the authority of the scripture. So he says, you, 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 you depend upon the Bible. You talk about the Bible. You, have a, you say you have a relationship. You brag about your relationship to God. You, you know God's will. You approve of it as being superior because you're instructed by the law. If you're convinced, listen to this, that you are a guide for the blind. Are believers to be a guide for the blind? You know, we're, we're the light of the world. City set on a hill. We are, we are to be that. Okay, if you believe that that's, that's your responsibility, that you are that, that you're a light for those who are in the darkness, that you're an instructor of the foolish, do you get this sense of superiority? He's, he's poor out here. You guys, you Jews think you're better than the Gentiles because you've got the law. You say you've got a relationship with God. You, you say you know God's will. You approve what's superior. You're, you're, you're the guide for the blind. You're the light for, the dark, for those in the dark. You're an instructor of the foolish. You're a teacher of the infants. Why? Because you have in the law the embodiment of the knowledge of truth. That was the attitude of the Jews in Jesus' day. We are superior. We are the descendants of Moses. We are, we are God's people. Verse 21, he says, you then who teach others. You, so I just said, let me just give that to you, that you've got the right stuff. You've got the truth. You've got the knowledge. You can teach the lessons. You that teach others, do you not teach yourself what's he asking you're saying don't do this don't do this don't do this don't do that. you better do this he's saying are you listening to what you're saying are you teaching yourself do you hear what you're professing because if i look at your life i don't see it and so he says do you do you teach yourself you who preach against stealing do you steal you who say that people should not commit adultery do you commit adultery in other words, what you're preaching is not what you're living. What you say you believe is not really what you believe. What you profess is not what you possess. You that abhor idols, do you rob temples so you can have your own idols? Is what he's saying? You who brag about the law, how superior it is. Do you not dishonor God by breaking the law? What's Paul accusing believers of? Saying that they hold to this great truth of God, but never getting around to living it. Doing the very things that they're condemning others for doing. It's easy for us to come together every week and to learn more of God's truth. We do that through our Bible studies. We do that through our small groups. We do that through our, our corporate worship. We, we, we try to impart truth of God's word. And it's easy to add more facts and more truths to our, our, our repertoire. The harder part is to put that into action. I can tell you a lot of what the Bible says. But the real question is how much of that am I living day to day? How much has that impacted my attitude and my heart 
in my relationship with others and my relationship with God. That's what Paul's getting at here in, in Romans chapter 2. He's saying, look, there's, there's a great big difference in what you say and what you're doing. And he says, those who call themselves lovers of God, keepers of the rules, superior to others, guides for the blind, light for the dark, uh, instructors of the foolish, the teachers of infants. He says, you, you brag about the fact that you've got the knowledge and the law and the truth. But why aren't you listening to the truth? And why isn't it changing your life? And he says there in verse 24 that the outcome of that is that God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's a serious indictment. But here's what he's saying. If you say one thing and you never get around to living it, or you say one thing and you do something completely different, it's no wonder the lost world looks at the church and says, I don't want anything to do with your God. He hasn't changed you. Why would I think he can change me? He evidently hasn't made a difference in your life. Why would you think he can make a difference in my life? That's a serious indictment upon the church and upon those who profess faith in Jesus Christ. What's a person like that to expect from God? Well, the first part of chapter 2, he he addresses that. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You therefore have no excuse. You, You know the truth. He says, You have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, For at whatever point you're judging the other, you're condemning yourself. Think about this, okay? If I come up to one of you and say, listen, brother, I love you, and I'm going to tell you, you don't need to be doing this. What does that say about my knowledge of right and wrong? I know it. If I can say, do not steal, then that means I know that stealing is wrong. But if I turn around and steal, I'm condemning myself. I can't say, well, Lord, I didn't know that was wrong. I had no idea. Don't commit adultery, but I'm committing adultery, even if it's just in my heart because I'm lusting at a woman. In my pronouncement of your action as being sin, I'm condemning myself because I'm saying, I know. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. He says, so when you pass judgment on someone else, for, for at whatever point you judge the other, you're condemning yourself because you who pass judgment are doing the same thing. Now, know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. In other words, when God speaks his judgment on you, he's going to be one that knows and is doing and sees it all. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, and yet you do the same things that they're doing, you, do you think that you're going to escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? Paul's saying this. He's saying, listen. You said one thing, but you're doing something different. And right now, it may look like you're getting away with it. That you've got everybody fooled. That you've got everybody thinking that you are just this great person. Holy, righteous, God-fearing, big-hearted, great guy. But there's coming a day. 
Just because God's patient right now, don't mistake his patience with his approval. And and, and don't think you're pulling one over on the Lord because there's coming a day where God will set the record straight. There's coming a day where, where we will have to give an answer for these things. And so he says, even though God's patient and he's tolerant right now and he's kind to you, don't you realize that that kindness is giving you an opportunity to repent? His kindness is what's leading you toward repentance. He's giving you that opportunity. He's expressing his kindness to you and his love to you, not because you deserve it, but because you need it. And this is the time to do that. Verse 5, he says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. Two terms that are saying to us, we know better. You're doing this and God's saying, don't do that. And you're so stubborn, you just keep going. You do something and God says, you need to stop that. And you go, yeah, I'm not going to repent. I'm not going to turn away from that. I'm just going to keep plugging along as if I don't hear you, God. So because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. And God will give to each person according to what he's done. To those who by by persisting in doing good seeks glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and who follow evil, in other words, they hear it, but they don't do it, there will be wrath and anger. And there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But there will be glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. He's not saying we're saved by our good deeds, but he's saying those who are saved are going to be busy doing good things. They're going to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when he convicts us, they're going to turn back from their sin to the Lord. They're not going to remain stubborn and and unrepentant because that leads to judgment. It's that missing foundation that when the storms come, make obvious what was lacking. And so Jesus warns us through his words and through Paul's words that there's a difference. Verse 12, he says, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. Now listen to this next verse. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it's those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Not those who hear, but those who obey. Jesus makes this great statement. Paul writes it down. He, he says, this is who we are. And this is what awaits. Those who build their life on the rock, they hear and they obey. They hear and they do. And they're wise. But the fool just keeps going to church. Accumulating knowledge and never getting around to changing. They can point out the sins of others, but they don't recognize the sin in themselves. And Jesus says there's coming storms of life. And those storms are going to reveal, first of all, whether you're built on the rock or you're built on the sand, whether you're anchored to the rock or whether you're not. It's going to reveal whether you're wise 
are foolish, whether you're a believer or whether you're not, storms reveal. The storms reveal the genuineness of our faith. The storm reveals whether we're anchored and what we're anchored to. Because some of you are anchored, but you're anchored to the stuff of this world. And when that storm comes, the stuff of this world goes with it. Some of us are anchored to our possessions, and that's why when a disaster hits and our possessions are damaged or destroyed or blown away, we feel like our whole life has been taken from us because what we were anchored to was not the real deal. Storms reveal what's below the surface, too. What's out of sight, what's hidden from others. And most people don't think about the foundation that they're laying until the storm hits. It's out of sight. It's unnoticed until the storm comes. I believe that what we really believe about God, what we really believe about the gospel, is made evident during a crisis. Those who have a surface faith... They come crashing down. But those who have a faith that's anchored to Christ just grow stronger and more resilient. And they become the the pillars of a community that people look at and go, I don't know how they can go through this and this and this and this and still praise God and still love Jesus. And those are the people that God uses. So how do we develop this deep faith? How do we anchor ourselves to the rock? Well, Jesus says we do that by hearing and then doing. Now, that doesn't mean we get it right every time, does it? But, but we, we listen to the word of God. We read the word of God. We study the word of God. And then we say, Lord, how does that translate into what I'm going to do today? And we begin to put that to work. And so we do it by, by hearing and doing, by putting the truth of God's word into practice. And every truth of scripture that we begin to live out is like another anchor bolt that's anchored to the rock. And the more anchor bolts you can put down, the more truths that you begin to live, the more anchors you, you have to that rock that hold us steady. But guys, listen, anchor bolts, you've got to be anchored to the rock. They're they're not going to hold in sand. And dare I say, they don't do you a bit of good if they're left in the box. I can go to Lowe's and buy 500 anchor bolts. And if I leave them in the box, (laughs) they don't do me any good. Truth that is not put into practice does you no good. In fact, I believe scripture teaches it does you harm. Because those who know and do not do will be held accountable for that. Many people know the truth. They've just never applied it to their lives. They've just never anchored themselves to Jesus. There's a big difference in knowing and believing. Knowing engages my brain. Believing engages my life. Nowhere 
in the scripture do we really see a great big reward just for knowing. But we do see great reward for those who do. We, we don't see Jesus praising us just for learning more truth. We see Jesus praising us and praising those who actually live it out. And so he calls us to live out the gospel, to live it out in front of others, to live it out for others to see. And I believe the most difficult thing that you and I will ever face as a Christian, the most challenging task for us as believers is not to gain more truth. There are millions of people out there on television, radio, and everywhere else that can give you truth. But the most difficult, challenging thing that we will face is to bring our actions in line with what we say we believe. That's the hardest thing. Not just to be able to rattle off the right answers, but to bring our life in line with those truths. To look temptation the temptation to compromise and to go a different direction, to look that temptation in the eye and choose Jesus instead. I think that's the biggest challenge that we face. To align this knowing and this doing together. It's so easy and it's so common for us to learn truth and then try to judge everybody else to teach others, but never let those truths impact us. It's so easy to preach the truth and to live a lie. And this is where Jesus ends his message saying, don't be that fool. Don't be the guy that follows me but never lets the truth impact your decisions. Judas was with Jesus every day. But he never let those truths change his heart. And in the end, he crashed while the others stood. Your life will stand or it will fall. It's the only two options. And it will do so based upon the foundation that you lay. Paul would say there is no other foundation that can be laid other than the foundation of Christ. If we want our lives to stand. And so the, the, the real question is, are we doing that? Are we really anchored to Jesus? When he speaks, do we say yes, sir, and we obey? Or do we want to debate him? or ignore him, or pretend we didn't hear him? Do we want to shove him aside so that we can pursue our agenda, or are we really concerned about pursuing his agenda? You see, the gospel's got to take root in us before we can try to apply it to anybody else. Jesus said that so many times already in this message. How do you try to take the the speck out of your brother's eye when you still got these logs in your own eye? First, take care of the log in your own eye, and then we'll worry about maybe helping others. In Matthew 7, as Jesus finishes up this message, he is warning us that it's not what you know. It's not just what you've heard. It's not even what you can repeat. But it's how that truth impacts the way you live every single day. It's about hearing and doing. 
And what we hear must impact what we do. Otherwise, we're going to be doing more damage than good. As Jesus finishes up his message in Matthew 7, the last two verses of this chapter, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. What do you think amazed them the most? I mean, there was, there was wise people that were all over the place that spoke these great big deep thoughts. Was it Jesus' deep, deep thoughts? Was it that, the, that the, the, the message that Jesus was preaching was so intellectual that everybody just sat back and go, wow. Jesus' teaching was simple. His illustrations were understandable. What were they so amazed at about Jesus? The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He he taught as one who had authority. Does that mean that he yelled and screamed and beat on the pulpit and spit on the people in the front row? No. Where where did Jesus' authority come from? It came from the Father, okay? But, but, but what gave it authority in the eyes of, of man was the fact that what Jesus spoke, he actually did. When Jesus talked about loving, he, he actually did that. When, when he talked about putting others first, he just did it. Not as their teachers of the law what were the Pharisees doing let me tell you the work the truth and the, the, the whole truth and nothing but the truth about the word of God you know don't do as I do just do as I say and they forfeited all authority because their life did not back up their message Jesus spoke with authority because he actually did what he said And guys, listen to me. If you want to speak with authority in this world, if you want your neighbors and your family members and those that you're concerned about knowing Jesus to listen to what you say, it better line up with what you say. Your life better line up with that. How many times does we have parents tell our kids one thing? And then we don't follow through and, and live it in front of them. And I know there were several times in my home where my kids would say, Dad, maybe not in these words, does that line up with what you've been telling us? Is that what you preach or is that really what you do? If you want to have credibility, you want to have authority, you want people to listen when you speak, then your words and your actions have got to line up. If we want our community to believe that God has not forgotten them through the storm, 
then we better not forget them in the storm. If we want people to believe that God cares about them and that God's here to meet their needs, then guess what we better be doing? If we want to have a voice, if we want to be taken serious, if we want to have some credibility, our life and our actions have got to line up. Or else the world will look at us, and as Paul said, they will blaspheme God. And they will say, you're God. Can't do this. So we've really got to take a minute today, maybe more than a minute, and examine our hearts and examine whether we're really putting into practice the things that we already know. The Church of America today is not weak because it lacks information. It's not weak because it lacks truth. It's weak today because we're not taking those truths and putting them into action. And our world laughs at us. And says, if you want to gather for an hour or two a week, that's fine. I think it's a waste of time. But that's fine. Because I don't see any difference it makes in your life. Now, that's not true for all of you. But it may be true for some of you. I've had to search my heart this week and say, Lord... Show me the areas that I pound again and again and again at church that I'm not getting right myself. And it's been gut-wrenching to do that. It's not been a fun week wrestling with those things. But my heart has been crying out to God and saying, God, let's, let's square this up. Let's get this right. If we're going to do this, let's do it right. See, Jesus didn't come to earth just to make us religious. People were religious long before Jesus got here. He came to make us righteous. And that's those who take the truth and put it to work, put it to action. We're not made righteous by the things that we do. We're made righteous by the work of Christ. But that righteousness needs to flesh itself out in the way that we live. We can't declare ourselves righteous and live unrighteous, we've got to do it in a way that lives out the gospel. So as I close today, let me ask you this. Are you settling for religion instead of righteousness? Are are, are you just checking off the boxes and saying, man, I went to church again? Or are you taking something that God says to you here and saying, God, change this in me now and tomorrow and the next day? Jesus would say it this way. Are you building your life on the rock? Or are you building your life on the sand? Because that decision guarantees the outcome. Let's pray.